Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey everyone, it's Sophia. Welcome to Work in Progress. Friends, I am always excited to be here with you. Every week we have guests that I adore, admire, and am fascinated by. But when I tell you that today I am almost vibrating out of my own chair because I am so excited about the woman who is here with me. She is an icon, an idol of mine. Her music raised me. Her stories have inspired me. She is one of those people who reminds me that courage is contagious. Our guest today is none other than the iconic Melissa Etheridge. Melissa is one of rock music's great female icons who happens to have become an icon in rock and roll when there were almost no women playing the guitar. Her popularity was built around incredible songs like Bring Me Some Water, No Souvenirs, Come To My Window, which is personally one of my favorites in the world. Her fourth album, Yes I Am, earned her a second Grammy, and in the midst of this incredible career, she battled breast cancer publicly and shared her journey with fans, even taking the stage in front of massive audiences completely bald, inspiring people to never give up. She made her Broadway debut in Green Day's rock opera, American Idiot, in 2011, the same year she happened to receive her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. and. 
This year, she has launched the incredible show My Window on Broadway. I was lucky enough to go and see it opening night in New York, and I was positively shaking out of my chair that night as well. The play is such a beautiful retrospective of her career. It'll make you cry. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you sing along. And I think the coolest thing I've ever heard anyone do when launching a Broadway show about their life is that she also happened to write this show with her wife and her best friend and co-producer while writing a memoir of her life. Talking to My Angels is her beautifully engrossing and harrowing story about her life. It's really a testament to the power of art. It's a touchstone for anyone seeking a path out of darkness. And it is a powerful love letter from Melissa to her family and her fans who have been integral to her journey. I cannot wait to ask her one bajillion questions about all of these things. Let's get to it. I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody at home listening a couple of things uh, that some of them I know have read. There were some folks after your beautiful show on Broadway, My Window, opened uh, who saw some of the things that I I said on the carpet that night and were like, oh my God, same, I grew up. I'm so obsessed with her. I can't believe you got to go. I wish I was in New York. People are so excited about this retrospective of your career. But for all our friends at home, I have to sort of throw myself under the bus a little bit. The The first night that I met Melissa was last year at uh, Elton John's big, beautiful fundraiser around the Oscars. He raises money for the Elton John AIDS Foundation and I was walking in and I turned around and I saw you on the carpet and and y'all at home. I I I just never had this happen to me before. I got so excited, I started crying and I was like, I'm so sorry. This is really awkward. I love you. And I grew up listening to your music on repeat, like to the point that my parents were like, the album is so good, but maybe listen to something else in the house. Aww. And um you know, that that was Yes, I Am, you know, as an 80s baby, the early 90s was mm-hmm. was my my moment to discover my own musical taste. And Melissa, you were so gracious and sweet. You gave me a hug. You told me everything was fine. I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. And uh, and here we are. So thank yeah. you for humoring me for a real long conversation. today. Oh, very sweet. Those things can be so strange. And that was very, very sweet. Wow. Well, you were just so lovely. And it was such a special night. And yeah, I, I always love when I get to meet people I really admire who are likewise passionate about using their big, beautiful platforms for good causes and, um, you know, doing good in the world. And and that's really been something that I think you've done for so long. <laughs> well, it's it's the more you are in this industry, the more you uh have what others might you know think of as success or something the more mm. you realize that the real joy is not in oh i got this i got that the real joy mm. is oh i i was able to experience this and mm. and this feels good and you just go to what feels good so you'll you're you're on that path and you'll you'll just be keeping you know keep doing that oh that's so kind I love to ask folks who join me on the show because we get to talk to so many people who have these illustrious careers and 
who are doing such cool things in the world. I, I always like to take someone who we can all look at and go, wow, they're, you know, a musician, an activist, a, a leader, so outspoken, all these things, and ask how similar you were as a kid. Like, mm. do you, and I, I feel like I have a little inside scoop because I got to watch the show and it's such mm. a beautiful retrospective. Mm. But for the folks who haven't been lucky enough to see it, were you, or can you, I guess, from this vantage point, look back at who Melissa was at, you know, eight or nine years old and see traces of this same woman? Oh, yeah. I mean, mm. uh, you're always the same you, even though it constantly evolves and changes. You mm. always have that same inner being, that same inner uh, child, young woman, whatever it is. It's it's still the same heart. And um you know, I had a, a dream. I back in the 60s, I grew up in the 60s and uh, just the the music, the idea entertainment was becoming the big thing back mm-hmm. then it was, you know, music and then rock and roll. And, 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 and it was so powerful that I dared to dream, oh, I want to, I want some of that. And, and mm-hmm. that still is inside me. It, it definitely, you know, the, the world changes, everything changes and what it looks like now, you know, 50 years later is a lot, is a lot different, but yeah. it's still that same dream. It's still that same reaching for something. And, and that's a mm. beautiful thing to have is, is to really look and, and go, oh, I want to be there. Mm. And, yeah. And when you hear something new, I mean, the, the budding sounds of that era that can mm-hmm. move you, you know, move your spirit and you go, oh, a human made that. Mm. Like a person made all those sounds and now I'm feeling feelings through a radio yeah. Will you tell people what the first song was that really <laughs> shook you up? Well, in the show, I talk about how I was about three years old and um, I was in my neighbor's driveway. All the kids were, out, you know, it's the 60s and they just let children run wild. <laughs> we were all over the neighborhood and, and I was just standing there and some kid handed me a transistor radio mm-hmm. and I heard you know, the Beatles, I want to hold your hand. It was, and I remember I had a very distinct mem- memory of hearing that thinking the sound of those harmonies in that, hand, I want to hold you. you know, that, that whole thing just was like nothing I'd ever heard. And it, and it, it it's hard to explain how the Beatles sounded back to how nothing mm. had sounded like that before and causing that Beatlemania causing it, it, the the sound and the the look was was just you know transformative to everybody back then and and that got me totally interested my sister had their albums my parents had other great albums mamas and the papas uh simon and garfunkel um you know, a uh, great soul singers, Aretha Franklin, and they just had a great album collection. And my sister, who was older, had had kind of a rock and roll collection. So I grew up with all that. And and it just, it was, it was thrilling, just thrilling. Mm, that's so cool. And so as you grow up in this amazing era and, you know, rock and roll's hitting the scene and music is changing, how how does the story move through you realizing this was such a passion in your life and 
And then breaking into the music industry. I mean, were was your family supportive of the dream? Did people think it was a pipe dream? Were there pitfalls along the way? Because it's it's such a good story. <laughs> well, the um I I begged my parents for a guitar. Mm-hmm. I, I I was crazy about the Archies, actually. The the there's a well everyone knows the archies now because there's like riverdale and all those things and yeah and um and the archies when i was a kid was just so cool it was all the high school kids you know playing and i was like wow i want to do that and and so i started playing at the age of eight and of course they said i couldn't they 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 got the guitar actually for my sister which really broke my heart but i (laughs) I begged and begged they finally said well all right put your fingers will bleed and yeah, my fingers bled, but I started playing and, and it, w- my teacher was very, very stern, but he was serious and good. And and I mm. practiced my you know lessons and came in every day and learned and learned. And when I learned chords, this is now, this is the end of the sixties. This is early seventies. And I'm, I'm playing chords and I realized, wow, that's a song. And yeah. now we're in the we're in the kind of the folk music boom of the, the 60s, early 70s. And it's all, you know, even girls, you know, playing guitars and singing that that's happening. So I'm I'm feeling, wow, I can do this. And I start making mm-hmm. up songs. You know, I, I, I was 12 years old. I didn't know anything, you know, but yeah. I but I was copying you know, what I'd heard and trying to put my own spin on it. And a lot of, I in the in the show, I say, you know, I, I used to write these really dramatic, sad songs, you know, about their story songs and 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 my friends would all cry and how much I loved that. I was getting an emotional mm. response yeah. from something I created. So that was the beginning of that. And then uh, actually having the opportunity to play in bands when I was younger through mm-hmm. the talent show that I entered and the, he made a variety show. And then there's a band there. And I, I, it just, it, it's just one step at a time. It just happens mm-hmm. one thing after another, very small steps, but they all, you know, in, end up with me as a teenager on the weekends singing in professional cover bands all, all over the Midwest. And and that was a great yeah. opportunity because I, I got to be comfortable in front of people. I learned other instruments. I learned how to perform on stage. Frankly, I don't, I feel sorry for a lot of artists today that sort of are in their late teens or early twenties. And all they've ever done is make music in their bedroom on their computer, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, okay, go perform to 20,000 people. And they, you know, they're scared to death. They've never done it. Yeah. I was able to, you know, perform to 10 people, to 20, to, you know, 50 in a room, to Mm. drunk people, to I've had all kinds of things happen. So Mm. I feel very safe on stage. And it leads to being able to be a a good performer. Yeah, gosh, that's so interesting that, that you do have to find your confidence to make your art in front of other humans, regardless of what those other humans are doing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to not take it personally. That's the man yeah. you there's a story. My wife has a whole another very interesting life. And she used to actually in the 80s, she was a chauffeur driver. She was a limo driver and she drove Liza Minnelli. Wow. And she, yeah. And, and when she has incredible stories about that. But she has this one story about when Liza played Carnegie Hall, how and this is this is about taking it personally, how the whole place 
stood on their feet to give her a standing ovation. But there was that one guy in the back that that didn't. And she obsessed about that guy and how he didn't stand up. And later after the show, she sees that guy in his wheelchair leaving. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, my God, I was I was suffering and and taking it personally that mm. for some reason he didn't like me. So you never know. So mm. you can't be on stage looking at an audience and then taking personally what they're giving you. You have to say, I'm doing this. It's going one way. And and I mm. don't need anything from you. I, I hope you appreciate this, but this is my art. It takes a it takes a night after it takes year after year after year of doing it to really not take it personally. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, to bolster that confidence, I I just saw this cool video of Brene Brown talking about how mm. if you walk around in the world looking for proof that you're not enough, you'll find it. You you get to prove whatever story you tell yourself. Yeah. But but to learn to stand in your confidence and in your 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 light, I think is hard it's much harder, you know, done than said. That's just week after week, month after month, just doing it. You you can't get it wrong. There you'll mm -hmm. have ups and downs, but you can't get it wrong because it you will always have another chance mm -hmm. to, to go. Okay, maybe I I took it off the rails this time, but I can I can really try next time and and mm -hmm. and learn from it. And that's all. We're just learning. We're not here to get it perfect. Nobody's getting it perfect. We're just learning. It's mm -hmm. so fun in the learning. Mm -hmm. Did it feel a little bit like that, you know, when you left Kansas and you you moved to Boston for college and then quickly realized you just wanted to be playing music and not yeah. really doing the school part? Was was that part of finding your footing and your confidence too, to say, oh, I really want to commit to what it is I know I want to do. And maybe I don't have to do this more traditional path. Was it scary or did it just sort of happen and did you not have to think about it? Well, I didn't I didn't like letting my parents down. I remember my mother showing me, she goes, come up in, into her room where she had her desk. And she was actually the moneymaker in the family. And so she actually controlled the checkbook and the balances and stuff. My father was mm -hmm. great. He was a teacher. Teachers make no money, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> my mother, she called me into her room and showed me the check she was writing to the school, which at the time was only like $3,000. So this, you know, I, I college tuitions are crazy nowadays, but yeah, back then are. it was $3,000. And, um, and she said, now, this is what I'm paying. This is how much I'm paying. So when you want to skip class, you remember this. And, and so when I was there and I was really not liking it because one, I was, the whole school had maybe 10 women in it. And, mm. and there was two of us in the guitar. You know, there's not women. This is 1979. Women weren't, you know, playing guitar. It just wasn't happening. And it was very difficult to get noticed in the school. Mm. And I remember one of I, I had started playing in in this restaurant and one of my teachers one of my professors came just you know had me just happened to be there in the in the lounge sitting and talking i was like oh my gosh he's going to see me here doing my thing and he didn't even recognize me he didn't even notice me didn't mm. didn't notice me from his class and i thought man i'm just i'm i'm blank there and there i'm getting nothing 
And I, I did quit. I didn't tell my mom for a while. I just kind of went mm, until they, you know, until they let her know that I wasn't showing up. And well, you know, and, and as my mom eventually said, when she was much older, she said, well, everything turned out okay. <laughs> uh, I love when you hit that point with your parents where you can really be adults together in the room. Yeah. I, oh yeah. I've really experienced a shift in, in my relationship with my parents in probably the last five years that's mm-hmm. just been super cool. We'll be back in just a minute, but here's a word from our sponsors. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's 
smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart. I think like it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like we have fun, but then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I I also remember from the show you um you know, you sharing with all of us that after this wonderful stint in Boston, you went home for a time. And and that when you well, I mean this is gonna be a little out of order now. Let me let me let me re ask this question now that I'm I can feel my heart rate slowing. <laughs> so surrounding your your journey in Boston and and figuring out what parts of school were for you and what weren't and and what a wild thing to think about how the dynamic of you being a woman really affected your position in music, even as a student, you know, that there was really this sort of um, intense withholding over gender of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you talk about being one of two women, even studying guitar was, was the other woman in that class with you, your roommate, or was that a different, well, that was a different gal at school. Yeah, yeah. No, my roommate okay. was studying voice. Yeah, ah, okay. it was just, just it, it, as far as guitar, they just, and I, I would venture to say they still don't take women guitar players seriously. It's, mm. it's just, it is like the last stranglehold of of the patriarchy is wow. that that women, you know, they, they don't trust a woman is is in rock and roll, you know, is playing the mm. guitar. So it's that that's but you know, it'll change and as everything does. It's just that's you know, of all the advances. I mean, we I don't know if you know who Jan Winner is and what he just went through. Uh Jan mm. Winner uh look up Jan Winner his last interview in New Yorker in the New York Times. He was the founder of Rolling Stone magazine, which was like the 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 tastemaker of uh, rock mm. and roll all through the mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, 80, uh, you know, all through the whole rock and roll era. And he just uh, released a book called The Masters, where he uh, took all his great interviews that he'd ever done and he put them in a book and they were all white men. And the interviewer <laughs> asked him, well, don't you think you're missing out on maybe some people of color and some women? And he was like, no, they, they didn't know. And he, he had the opportunity to actually go, oh, yeah, well, and, and say something. But he was like, no, they they were not as intelligent or and, you know, we're talking Joni Mitchell and and and, uh, you know, uh, J- Jimi Hendrix and Prince. And you're saying, you know, so and he just got in a lot of trouble for that. But what I'm saying is that just happened this year where, right. you know. All the other sort of equalizing has been happening in the last 10 years. The music industry is probably the last. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a very male-dominated space for a long time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I think that's a really interesting thing that we're, we're seeing everywhere this, in this time, right? Is mm-hmm. There's been these ideas of progress, but you, you see that sort of pendulum swing, and it feels like we've been rolling it back so intensely, whether... It's in your industry, my industry, you see it in politics and you go, oh, boy, we really they really want to cling to power, don't they? Exactly. I wouldn't want I wouldn't call it rolling back Mm. to me. I think it's uh, pulling the curtain 
off mm. of it and finally seeing it and mm, going how deep it goes whoa that's really like it like i didn't i i knew i always knew yeah well there's not many women rock and roll and whatever but i didn't know there was an active i didn't know just how deeply mm. entrenched it, it was the belief of oh no these these women aren't serious there's nothing serious here they're not intelligent they're not articulate and you know and and that that's what's mind-blowing and then you see these politicians and they can't get away you know we've got there's cameras everywhere they're going to catch everything and they can't get away with it we see it more it's not that we're going back i think it's a sign of we're going forward because the what used to kind of be silently in power is not anymore it's it's revealed and we can all go wow and Mm. then we're moving on from that so mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing. It's a kind of an ugly, painful thing, but it's good in the end. Yeah, that's really that's really a cool way to look at it. And I think about, you know, when you talk about the people left out of that book or the people who've historically yeah. been, uh, you know, left Over. out of the rooms where, the, where, yes. where it happens, as they say. Yeah. You know, it's been hard for women. It's also been incredibly hard for folks from the LGBTQ community. Oh, yeah. And... And yet here you are in a time where it was hard for women, where it was extra hard for gay women, and you managed to to break through into the, you know, top tier of rock and roll. And it's it's so inspiring. It was inspiring to me as a young artist. It's inspiring to me and so many people around the world still, you know, now. And I... I think about some things that really stuck out to me in in your show, you know, seeing it on Broadway, even you talking about the way your roommate was like, I see you. Yeah. Like she <laughs> she knew who you were and you were finding your identity as a as a queer woman, you know, in this time. What was that like? Because we see now again to your point, pro- all this progress has been made and we see as we peel back the next layer, how many people want to attack, you know, people's freedom and autonomy. And, and we're thinking about, you know, decades ago, was it, Mm. was it a scary time? Was it a time where you could feel that progress happening? Was it all of it at once? I, I think I've had a a really great time to be alive and to, Mm. Uh, to go through this and see it firsthand, because I can tell folks like yourself this that um, growing up in sixties and seventies, in the sixties and early seventies, uh, being a homosexual was considered a mental illness, mm. and they were in in a lot of states they were throwing us in jail for this. They were arresting us. And throwing us in jail so mm. you you didn't want you it, it was dangerous mm-hmm. and the 70s were when we first started pushing back and going no we're not and 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 getting a, a little bit of traction but you still if you came out to your parents or anybody you would destroy the family because it, it was they would think you know, depending on their beliefs, you know, one, you're going to hell or whatever, but that, that your life was going to be miserable, that, Mm. that you were picking a lonely, uh, dark 
life if you were homosexual, because that's all anybody knew. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until, let's see, I graduated high school in, in 79 and, and became a young adult in the 80s. And that was when it started getting a little like uh, you'd, you'd see a little bit more. They, they were the weirdos. You know, the women were the, oh, you know, the, the kind of, you know, really strong kind of thing. And the men were the most effeminate. You know, it was it was the outer, you know, uh, places of of the personality of the LGBT community that was making all the change because they're the ones that can't hide it. You know, they're, mm. you know, all of us in the middle were like, well, what me, I can pass as straight, you know? And, and so, so the, the work was being done by the, the fringes mm. and the more it happened in the eighties and the more comfortable I got in my, in the women's community I was in, in, in Long Beach and Los Angeles, the stronger it got, there was a, there was a, in young Hollywood in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, there was a, a community of gays and lesbians that, you know, professionals that were mm-hmm. in, in making a lot of business. And one by one, we'd all kind of step forward and, uh, and it, the more people came out, you know, myself, uh, uh, Martina Navratilova, Billie Jean King, the more the more these successful people came out, mm-hmm. you had to change the conversation about, well, if you're gay, you're going to have a dark, horrible life. It's like, mm. we come out and go, no, I'm not having a horrible life. It saved my life to be who I was. Mm-hmm. And so you start having the conversation and it starts changing hearts and minds. And th- through the 90s, and 2000s and 2010s, those 30 years, we have grown a lot to where today, I mean, y'all might think that, you know, we're struggling and everything, but man, we are way far from where we were in yeah. our struggles are are no longer, okay, you're going to throw me in jail or you're going to kill me. Uh, you know, it's, it's now, oh, I, I, I might... You're going to take this book out of school because you think, you know, that's it, it's a different mm. struggle, but it's still the it's because of the expansion of the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. that that there is such pushback. But the pushback is 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 now on the fringes and not, you know, in, in the middle because the oh God, I can go on and on for about this. But, yeah. but it's, it's just a change that I have seen and. And it's always getting better. So in 30 years, you're going to be talking about how it was strange 30 years ago, but now it's it's not. Right. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's been interesting for me to watch as a kid, you know, growing up through the 80s and 90s and and being part of this community my whole life. You know, my dad's an artist. Like, I grew up in the queerest, most diverse, like, amazing culture and so many people, especially folks who look like us, have had to have this reckoning about privilege and, you know, what white privilege looks like and and how our society was designed and who it was designed for. And one of the things that, you know, when we're doing hard work, um, digging into hard subject matter, I also like to to try to look at what the positives are um, that we can learn from. And one of the things I feel the most grateful for about the way I grew up is that I had the privilege of exposure. You know, like my uncle Jeff and his husband, Winston, were just like the most 
fabulous couple who raised me and and Winston did drag as Diana Ross every Saturday night here in LA and like you know I grew up with this like fabulous black drag queen and I was like you're the coolest person I know and and I think now about how blessed I was because so many people um who grow up in more homogenous communities don't grow up around people of color or queer people or you know folks who make art or or do anything um, different than like what maybe the town industry is. And I, I feel so lucky to have been reared in this community because, you know, in my life at all the stages of figuring out who I am, my community, my parents' community are just like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> like we love you being more and more yourself, you know? Right. And, and I, I think about how, to your point, the more of us there are out in the world living whatever our individual truths are, the more we can example set for other people that they get to do the same. That's how it works. And it's just so cool. I mean, you, you know, you had that footage from the inauguration um, <laughs> when, when you did your big announcement on the mic. Uh, will you tell people about that moment? It's one of my favorite moments in your show. I had done some uh, uh, fundraising work for the Bill Clinton, the Clinton Gore campaign of 92. Mm-hmm. And this was a big time. We had just had Republican we just had Reagan into Bush. We'd had 12 years of Republican uh, suppression of AIDS, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and the gay community for those 12 years were really pushing against that. And when we mm-hmm. finally had a, a candidate who would even say gay and lesbian, it was mm-hmm. groundbreaking to hear that on television. And he he would talk about it. So the gay community really got behind him and you know, we changed. We we got out yeah. and did a lot of the work as we still do to this day. We're we're a big force in the voting block. Yeah. And and so when I had done some work for them, they they invited me to the inauguration. It was uh I got to, you know, sit and watch him say, ah, Jefferson, you know, Clinton, William Jefferson Clinton, that's it. You know, and, and so he does that. And that night there's all the inaugural balls. And for the first time, the, the there were three gay and lesbian packs that really helped. And now they're all kind of anyway, but back then there was three of them. And um, so we had what was called the triangle ball and it mm-hmm. was the gay and lesbian ball. And it was it was really fabulous. It, it, it was at the Washington Press Club. So when I was up in the balcony with Katie Lang and all the all the leaders, Elizabeth Birch, all the, you know, these past great LGBTQ leaders up there um, in the balcony, someone handed me a microphone and I said, I hadn't planned on coming out or I'd have said something much more eloquent, but I said, um, I, I, um, I'm proud to, I'm proud to say that I'm proud to have been a lesbian all my life. And it was just a really weird way to say it, but I came out (laughs) and then it was at the press club. So the next day it was, in the newspapers and didn't have social media back then. So it didn't go boom. It slowly, every tour I would do slowly reporters from every town would put it in their paper and it just slowly, I talked about being, that's all I talked about for about five years was being gay. (laughs) Was it? Yeah. But it was a great time and it, it did helped. And it was, I, Mm -hmm. I don't regret anything. Yeah. We'll be back in just a minute after a few words from our favorite sponsors. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. 
And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. I think about the impact of your voice there. I think about what it was like to see your family. It, it was the Rolling Stone cover that you guys all yeah. did together, right? With the kids. Yeah. I remember it as, as a kid being oh. like, whoa, this is so cool. Um, and it's interesting that you say that it was a like a slow moving growth of awareness 
Because you're right now with social media, it's like somebody Bam. can get a tidbit, run with it. You know, we know that false information spreads 1,500 times faster on the internet than the truth. I've certainly experienced my fair share of that. Gee, that's never happened to you, has it? Oh, gee, it's not <laughs> happening to me now or anything. Oh, it's um, no. What a wild time. But it it's such an interesting thing to watch the way that it sort of bursts like a wildfire now. And mm-hmm. and what a gorgeous thing that you got to have a slower move. But I didn't think about the fact that you yeah. feel like your life centered on your identity for five years. You were probably like, are we still talking about this? I know, exactly. But it actually gave me an opportunity to kind of get used to and perfect talking mm-hmm. about being gay because nobody had sat down with newspapers and magazines and yeah. television shows and actually talked about it. And if I was going to be this representative, I I wanted to feel comfortable with what I was saying and be clear. And it gave me an opportunity little by little to grow and feel more confident in that. Oh, that's really cool. So I'm I'm really curious about that because songwriting is storytelling. Mm -hmm. Your, your Broadway play is storytelling. It's, it's, it's like a living photo album, retrospective greatest hits tour, vaudeville show all rolled into one i'm absolutely obsessed with it i've told everyone i know to go see it and on top of my window being on broadway right now you're you've penned this beautiful book talking to angels you 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 tell the story of your life of of this era we're currently you know twirling through of your journey you know with your ex-wife, Julie, and having kids and and moving into this wonderful, you know, finding your right relationship now, experiences with, you know, mental health and psychedelics and all the things, loss, love, it's it's big. (laughs) How, How do you decide as this public figure, and do you think this period of five years you're talking about influenced your ability to really dig into your story because I wonder how you decide how much to share Mm. and and do you view the sharing as a as a gathering of of this community you get to talk to does it feel like a responsibility does it feel like a torch Mm. to pass like how do you think about this stuff well all of this is 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 my own choice I have a choice of how to how I'm going to hold it myself Mm. you know I can't control what other people think about it Mm-hmm. I can control about how I feel about it. Mm. So the uh, the um, actual, you know, uh, talking about it is is a ch- chance for me to learn. And I once I came out, it's kind of like once you open it up and say, "This is the real me," mm-hmm. you can't really close it back and go, "Oh no, you can't see any more of that." You. And what it's what it has led me to be is more comfortable with my life and my choices, where I don't feel like I have to look like someone else, act like someone else, make m- make music like someone else because mm. they're more popular or whatever those things that we compare ourselves to. I you you just realize, wow, I've got to be just me right now, and I've got mm. to be okay with the choices I'm making first so that when I talk about them, I'm, I'm confident about it 
and and what other people think about it is none of my business. Mm. So I just so I was able to then when I went through cancer to speak truthfully about that and say, mm-hmm. look, and 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 when I started smoking cannabis, people weren't talking about that in the early 2000s. It was it was still that was, you know, again, we we're th- getting thrown in jail for that sort of thing. And yeah, and to be able to say, look, this is medicine, this is medicine and, and become a, an advocate for uh, cannabis and psychedelics and things. And we still are, you know, mm-hmm. but to do that and feel it's all about how I feel. If I if I'm waiting for other people to tell me if it's OK or not, then I'm sunk. So mm. and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for those five years of talking about it, of getting the confidence and and then moving through my life just slowly and and loving every choice that I've made and feeling like I, I've done the best I can. Oh, that's beautiful. What a cool place to reach. Again, like the the sort of stage I find myself in mm-hmm. is being in a space where I go, oh, I've done a lot of work. I've learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> I have I have found the greatest therapist and I am in the most integrity I have ever been in. And for the first time, other people's opinions don't really bother me anymore. Oh, you're and gonna, I, I didn't know I'd ever get here. If you can keep if you can keep that up, that you'll be happier. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you will start realizing in the end, not in the end. I'm not at the end, but as you get older, <laughs> that being happy is actually the most important thing. Hmm. It it is not what it, you can't. If you think you can suffer and strife and and suffer and suffer to where you'll have a happy ending somehow it's not gonna you're you're just gonna suffer <laughs> mm-hmm. but if you can go no i i'm I'm making a choice to be happy right now mm. and this feels good if you can keep doing that believe me when you're 62 and talking to someone younger you'll go yeah i made my choices and i've had a very happy life and i'm i'm very happy about that yeah that's beautiful so this way that you tell stories when you think about it you know kind of looking back we've we've talked about this era of coming out that actually was five years and it, it makes me laugh because you know they always say like it takes a decade to be an overnight success yeah and i'm like oh it took you five years for everybody to have heard the thing you said five years before when when you're when you're in that stage where to your point you're touring the country and the world and you're you know nominated for awards and and winning them and selling crazy amounts of albums and you've you are like the rock and roller of of our time how how were you able to figure out your life in the midst of that because i know how hard it can be to pick up and move for a show, but usually I pick up and move somewhere and I stay there for six months. I'm not like living in a tour bus or on an airplane every night. And, and, and you during this whole stage, you know, you become a wife, you become a parent, as you said, you battle breast cancer. I mean, there's so much happening. How did you make sense of it all? Well, life happens slowly. It -hmm. really does. And, um, in the in the show and in the book, I talk about uh, having a heroic dose of cannabis where I overdosed on edibles, you know, and 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 it really basically blew my mind. But it opened 
a thought. It opened more thought of, wow, it, that that took me out of the torture of what other people think about me. See, I mm. in the ninety in the eighties and nineties, it was all I needed. I needed to be on the cover, Rolling Stone. I needed to have a number one hit. I needed other people to validate what I was doing. Mm. And then when I, you know, struggled and struggled and struggled, and I finally got there and realized, wow, this is not making me happy. This is just something I did. What makes me mm-hmm. happy is is when I'm on stage, loving what I'm doing, or when I'm home with my kids and my family. Okay, well, now my year, now, now when I'm working, my year is broken up into, and my whole family knows it's summertime, mom is going on tour. That's, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And I love, love playing the music. That's that makes everything go away. When I am on stage and there's an audience of 2,000 or 200,000, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. It's always different. And those people are there to hear the songs that they love and to have an experience with me. That's that's golden. I mm. That's all I ever wanted. So the traveling and the the stuff that's that's what we go through and my when when you talk about you know you you go somewhere for 6 months well you know you know how crews are you know how mm-hmm. you know the the driver is you 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 make yeah. friends you you make your own family at that yeah, time you, do. you know the person who works at the bar in the hotel you're staying at you know they, <laughs> that becomes that's what life is is those relationships and you get put in that situation i have my tour manager has been my tour manager for 35 years. He's just, he's like a brother to me. You know, my bandmates are, are brothers to me. I've got, I've got beautiful sisters that work for me in, you know, uh, in production and go on the road with me and, and, and my lighting, you know, designer is a woman. And, and we just, you, you surround yourself with these people and 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 you have life with them mm. also my family you know it, it, my you know well not blood family but my family family and and you just you just realize that that's what it is it's not there, there's not something else that i'd rather be doing mm. you know and if there is then i will do it but you know mm-hmm. so you 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 make your life in what you're doing and you know yeah. that you know how it is. You, you'll you'll have friends that forever from the first production you ever did. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was just with one of my best girlfriends from my first job last weekend, and we were yeah. like, "Oh my god, our friendship's old enough to vote!" Like, what yeah. a crazy, <laughs> what a crazy reality that is. You know, next year it'll be old enough to order a beer at the bar, and it's so <laughs> cool. It's so so cool. Mm-hmm. So when you when you talk about if there's something else you want to do, you'll do it. Was that, did you have this feeling about wanting to go and do Broadway? Because in a way your show is like a concert and my God, I mean, you, you, you touched on it a minute ago, you know, you, you have this bit in the show, this scene about when you did this hero's dose and I'm telling you, we were laughing. I, we, my girlfriends and I had tears streaming down our face. Like you made it (laughs) so funny and also so educational and spiritual and illuminating and all the things there is so much packed into the retrospective. How did you decide to go do Broadway? And was it scary well, at all? Because you've been on the biggest stages in the world, or were you like, no, nah, I got it? Well, the the 
because it's so different, because when I go on stage with my band, I'm in 100% control. No mm. matter what happens, I'm in charge and I can I can tell my band to do anything. I can do anything. And and if an audience is sleepy, I can say, OK, let's we're going to play ballads instead, you know, or we can, you know, I can change things on the fly. And that's what yeah. I do. And I love it. Broadway, you you have to do it exactly the same. Uh-huh. every single time and it's got that i have a certain amount of freedom because the the show is very conversational and and i i chose not to like memorize a whole thing i you know i, I memorize the the shape of the show and and what story i'm telling but how i tell it might be a little different with every audience i had to give mm-hmm. myself that freedom where i'd go nuts but the broadway dream I, i've i've loved and appreciated and admired Broadway since I was a child mm-hmm. watching, you know, Barbara Streisand. I was a huge fan of that and, and Godspell and, and these great musicals and Broadway. You realize when you're in the music industry that especially now you can have a small amount of talent with a lot of energy and technically we can make you sound good. Mm. Well, you can't do that on Broadway. It's live. It's live every night. You have to bring mm-hmm. it every night. You have to be able to rise to the certain live audience every single night. Yeah. And so it is it is for only the ridiculously talented, you know, Broadway is. And, and yeah. it is, it's very revered. The, the, uh, the talent, the, the, just the work that people do on Broadway is, out of this world. So yeah. I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to to create something. I still do. I want to create something that that I won't be in. I want I want <laughs> to write something that I don't have to give up every day, you know. And so my wife who's also a a producer and and writer and you know, amazing artist herself also loves Broadway. Her one of her best friends is Joe Mantello who directed Wicked, you know. So he's wow. so we're we're we are aware of the Broadway community very deeply. And we when when we have thought about bringing something to Broadway for a long time. So a few years ago during the pandemic when this all started to really come together, mm. it was clear when I was writing the book, I said, okay, I believe my life can be the art in this one. You know, this, mm. this, I've done that with my songs before. I really, I want to tell the story and I'm ho- hopefully it is helpful and healing and mm-hmm. inspiring. And that's really my intention is to show people, you know, or to just inspire people. That's in so the- cool. So you were figuring out the, the show while you were writing the book. Oh yeah. Wow. What a cool parallel path. Yeah, and both of them came from conversations with my wife. I would, we would have these conversations, and we just started putting the voice memo on and saying, okay, we're just going to record this. And I would just, I would sit, I mean, it was a pandemic. We didn't have anything to do. I would just sit and and just tell stories about my past. And we just recorded it all and then just started to, you know, chisel it down and we had to leave a lot out there's a lot that happened in my life that that we had to just you know condense mm-hmm. and even the opening show you saw was still a little large we've we've sort of condensed it down but uh, really yeah you know we, we're always working on making it better yeah and now for our sponsors bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to on Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. And one of the things you touch on, you know, obviously such a seismic event in the show and, and you are so open in the book. And, and um, while I, I'm always very hesitant to it's okay. sort of make people repeat their hardest things, one of the things that I found the most inspiring watching the show and, and subsequently reading about it is, is the 
purpose that you've delivered for so many people out of personal pain. You you talk about your son passing at 21. He, like so many people, you know, sadly in our country, was affected by opioid addiction. And you share his story so honestly, you know, it's it's brave, I believe, to talk about the the pain and the awful things that came out of that that were said, you know, between you and your ex, the the suffering obviously of losing a child and and you managed to transmute that into this incredible organization and activism for families who are suffering. Is it hard to talk about does does talking about him allow him to stay with you? Is it is it both? Um I having had the experience of coming out as a as a lesbian and having the experience of having breast cancer and being open and honest about it and being open mm-hmm. and honest about uh psychedelic use and and stuff when my son died i realized if i if i don't put it out and speak about how i'm walking through it mm-hmm. i do a disservice to myself mm-hmm. I, I think and and what it has helped me it helped me organize it in my head and in my heart so that it doesn't weigh heavy every night every mm. night at that show i say my son would want me to be happy every mm. single night. and that mm-hmm. heals me now do i want to do this show forever and ever no I, i'm only going to do it i've got five more shows you know and and i'll probably lay it down for a while and let it sit because it has done the job of healing that I was looking for to be open wow. and honest, to, to do this in front of people, to, to, it, it was the same as getting on stage when I was bald. You, you just, the, the thing that scares you the most, if you can, with, with love in your heart, if you can walk toward it and then slowly go through it, it can be very, very healing. Mm-hmm. And I, hopefully it can help others, you know, but it's only for me every single night saying my son would want me to be happy. He would want me to know my happiness cannot cause anyone else pain. Mm -hmm. Saying that every single night, it's gotten easier for me to say it. It's easier Mm -hmm. for me to talk about it now with you. And so that's because I believe it, because I truly believe it, that, that I can really line up with that and show people that, no, 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 I'm not going to, my life's not going to end because my son's choices, you know, I loved him. And yes, it it was devastating and I grieved and I'm moving through it. And Mm -hmm. my life is still a beautiful life. I have three incredible children that bring me so much joy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to let this, we, we speak of him lovingly, constantly. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 I'm, I'm hopefully showing them how to hold it also and not let it be something that, that brings you down. Right. Well, I think to set that example is so powerful that, yes, suffering or loss can and will change you, but it doesn't have to take over every part of you. You deserve joy. Your children deserve joy. Any of us, I think, especially post-pandemic, you know, people have been talking about um, I, I listened to this psychologist talk about how this has been the summer. They're calling it the summer of the great divorce, like akin to the great depression. 
when when the whole economy collapsed, there is now a sort of psychological collapse of these um, systems or structures or relationships that aren't serving people. Mm-hmm. And and I think part of that has to be because we we lived through this pandemic and millions of people around the world died. Mm-hmm. And we have seen this unprecedented loss for folks suffering from opioid addiction. We We are seeing unprecedented loss in conflict zones around the world. And I think how dare we, if we're lucky enough to still be here, not pursue our joy and not make art and not gather people for song. How dare we? Because that's why we're alive. And yes, in a way, yes. I think it, it has to make you more committed to really honoring the potential for your own delight if you got to stay. Yeah, and you just do it every single day. Walk it every day. Mm. Don't don't ever get caught up in past or future. That's all. It's that's that'll come, but it will always feel like now. Now mm. is where we're at. And so, if you walk that every day, if you just every moment m- make it just a little more of that, you will you will see that momentum grow. And it's it's. You will be able to look at the world around us and understand that everyone's going through something and that death is a for sure thing for each and every one of us. Mm. And it comes differently. And to hold it and go, yeah, 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 that's coming. But right now, I'm not dying right now. I'm, I'm right now. I'm alive. Mm. And if I'm happy, I will be healthy and living longer. Mm. Well, and to take your aliveness and and offer, as you said, as you always have, your story as it evolves to people, you know, through your show, through the book. You mentioned that the show did what it needed to do for you. Because I was going to ask if you were going to extend, because so many people who knew I was interviewing you today asked me to ask you. Um, But I get that when you feel ready to be done with something, when it's it's served its purpose. So the show's going to close, and the book is out in the world, what what feels like it's next for you? How, mm. how are you feeling sort of opening your arms to all of this? I can't wait to get back on stage and just start doing oh. the thing that I love. We just yesterday, our uh, our spring tour went on sale. I've got planned. Uh, yeah, it, it'll be California. And um, I think I'm doing a little down in Florida, kind of West Coast, all the way up into Oregon and mm. uh, Washington and and um, and I just, I love that so much. I love my band. I love my music. I love the people that love my music. I'm going to tour all summer, probably a little bit into the fall. And it's just that is my happy place. My family knows it. Every it, mm-hmm. it's just it's so healing. And then what will happen is towards the end of next year, I'll get all antsy, like, mm, what's going to, what am I going to do now? And, and, and that's the joy of it is just, you just keep putting that in front of you. I should mention, I did something also last year. I did a concert at a women's penitentiary in Kansas where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And we have filmed that. And it's a beautiful, moving, touching documentary that will be out in mm. April on Paramount plus it's called I'm not broken. Mm. So that's going to be out and that's going to hopefully kind of lift the tour up a little bit because people, Mm. 
because it's a live concert video in a prison. It's really, really moving. And we talked to the a few women there, and it's really enlightening uh, um, on what women are going through and, and what people are doing now uh, to think about uh, crime and punishment differently, you mm-hmm. know, incarceration differently, and how we can actually yeah. help just lock people up. That's beautiful. Yeah, I've I've been lucky enough to do some prison visits with the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. Yeah, there you go. And yeah, man, you just realize like to sit and listen to people's stories and to bring them art can, it's always the thing that heals. Yeah. I I can't wait to see it. That's really exciting. Well, I'll invite you to be thinking of that too. (laughs) Yes, please. Oh my gosh, I'm coming. And I was going to say, I'm coming to the concert. Get ready. I'll just, I'll be screaming my head off. I can't wait. Are you West Coast or East Coast? Uh, I'm I'm back and forth, but I'm primarily West Coast. Oh, okay, good. Me yeah. too. So. I'm I'm between LA and New York a lot, but LA is technically home. Good. Have you liked living in New York all all through the fall? Has it been great? That's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with uh, um, my two daughters and my wife, and so that's great. Yeah, uh, I'm a Midwest and a California girl, and I like my space. And there's just yeah. not much space in New York City. I'm up on the Upper East Side, which yeah. is nice, and you know, comparatively more space than most. But um, man, there's just a lot of people here, mm-hmm. and it is constantly moving. And I I miss the sun, even when it's yeah. out. I don't always get to see it. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to just. I have a huge yard and a my home in California yeah. is just decent. And yeah, but New Yorkers have been wonderful and yeah. I've enjoyed the experience very much. I do not regret it at all. I'm That's really great. looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, well, we can't wait to get you back here. I feel the same. Anytime I go on location, I come home, I have this tree in my backyard that, you know, you're, you're a fellow journey woman. I, is it like yeah. it's such a sacred thing to lay under and have an experience? Yeah. And every time I get home, I walk in my backyard and literally hug my tree. <laughs> we are tree hugs. Yes, we yeah. are. Yes. Yes. So I know. I know <laughs> the feeling. Gotta do. Oh, it's so I, great. I miss that nature. I miss that community. I'm ready for some of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. Thank you so much. I I know that for everybody who's at home listening, they're they're gonna go and you know turn on one of their favorite records of yours and and enjoy themselves while they order this book that is so profoundly beautiful. And I I just really want to thank you for the way you've chosen to share with us, because I think courage is contagious. And when people tell the truth, it inspires other people to do the same. So so. thank you. I wish you the best on your journey, my friend. Okay. Thank you. What other people say about you is none of your business. You be happy. Indeed. I appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, please, let me know if we can hang when you get home. I'd love to get to do I'm that. I'm planning on it. Okay, cool. We will, we will definitely do that. Thank you, so Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day, honey. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.